Welcome to Season 7 of Beyond the Jargon, a conversation with grad students about their research journey here at the University of Victoria from CFUV 101.9 FM. This episode was created on the traditional territory of the Songhees, Eskimos, and West Sandwich peoples, whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day. I am your host, Taiwo Afolabi. Well, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Jargon. My name is Taiwo Afolabi. Today I'm with uh, Tanya. Um, and she's um, a PhD candidate here at the University of Victoria. I'm going to leave her to really introduce herself and her work. But it's really interesting to be having um, this conversation with Tanya today. Uh, and um, some, uh, from now, I'm just going to be asking Tanya some series of questions about her work. And um, I, I really hope that um, uh, you find uh, her work really interesting because I, I really find it really meaningful and then very important to a lot of the conversations we're having now in our society. It's good to have you today, Tanya. Thank you for having me, Taiwo. Yeah. So do you just want to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners out there? Okay. So I'm Tanya Manning-Lewis. I am a third year PhD candidate um, in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction and my focus is on language and literacy. So Tanya, um, your work is really amazing, but I just, I mean, for a lot of our listeners, this might be their first time of hearing you. Do you just want to tell us what your research is all about? Okay, so my research is working with four Jamaican boys um, from an inner city community in Kingston, Jamaica. And in this research, um, we look at the boys' use of Jamaican Creole and how they use it to, um, to assert their, their masculine or gendered identities and uh, the sort of impact it has on their attitudes towards um, English language learning. Now, the, the, the reason for this particular research is that uh, at present, there's this massive debate going on in my country about boys' use of language, more specifically Jamaican Creole. Um, a lot of people call it Jamaican Patois. Some people might be familiar with that term. And the, the current debate um, suggests that the boys are doing poorly in school because of the language they speak. And it particularly targets boys from inner city communities. Um, and Jamaican Creole speakers in general are seen as, as illiterate, um, not as intelligent to, to have conversations with because of the language they speak, the Jamaican Creole. And the boys find themselves in that situation where people tend to judge them based on the language they speak. They're seen as not as intellectual, not as likely to succeed, to succeed in schools. And a lot of it has to do just because of the fact that they are not predominantly um, English speakers or what we call Jamaican standard English speakers and more so Jamaican Creole speakers. And so the research is an opportunity for these boys to change the conversations on language and identity, for them to show not just Jamaicans, but I think the 
people in general who have um, been having discussions about language and identity that there's more to the conversation than assigning a person's intellectuality to, to their ability to speak English. And um, I wanted my research to give them that kind of platform for their voices to be heard, for them to tell their stories of the language prejudice that they experience and how, how that has shaped their attitudes towards English. And sort of, um, as I said, change the dialogue and show that they're, they're, they're intelligent, smart kids who are quite successful in school despite the, the ongoing rhetoric that suggests um, otherwise. Yes, yeah, so it's, uh, it's really interesting that um, your your research is trying to change some narrative and mm-hmm. and some as and challenge some assumptions. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I love to know why why the focus on inter city boys inner city boys. Yes. Um, I it's funny because I am a country girl. <laughs> I live in the rural part of Jamaica and um, I am middle class. Um, so, so it's it's always funny that someone would say, "Why inner city boys?" For me, I've always known that if I'm going to do research, it's going to be with boys. One, I have two boys myself, and um, my my interest in in doing this PhD and and working with boys and language came um, was as a result of a very heated conversation we had in our in our um, school one day, where my my older son visited um, the school with me, and at that time I. I, I feel very passionate about our local language. I've always been that way, anyone who knows me, even though I'm a teacher of English. And my son was with me, so we were talking, and most of the time he spoke to me in Jamaican Creole. And another teacher was quite upset. I, I'm going to use that term, <laughs> that I am, my, I am encouraging my son to speak in Jamaican Creole. And she was she turned to me and was like, why are you telling the boy to speak like that? You are the teacher of English. I, I, I just don't understand you. And it took me a moment before I responded to her because I, I was a bit taken aback that someone who, who, who I, I considered to be quite intelligent, someone who I consider as a leader within the school, would, would look um, on our language so poorly, right? Um, because I feel like we are the ones who are shaping how our kids see language itself. And um, I turned to her and I did say to her, I wonder what is the issue with my son speaking or a local language? And she's saying, you should know better than that. Teach the boy to speak English. Yeah. Um, yep, we had that conversation. And, and, and this, is, this, this is what I'm talking about. These are the conversations that are going on within our society and, and, and telling our kids that they, they, they are less than because of the language they speak. So I, I reminded her that my kids will speak our native language, irrespective of what I teach at the school. And it is not her place to determine what my kids speak. And I believe that the fact that we're telling our kids not to value their language, we're also telling them not to value who they are. And um, that led to a massive conversation within the staff room around language and, and, and um, how, how kids are perceived who speak the local language. And needless to say, most of the staff believe that we're not doing our, our kids any service by having them speak the local language or even using it in school. You don't need to know where I stand, right? <laughs> My work speaks for itself. I, I, I just, I, I feel so strongly 
about that, wherein um, that is an issue for me. That is reinforcing the very idea that our kids will never, they're not good enough because of the language they speak. And we need our educators out there to be telling them otherwise. We don't need them to go into the classroom to say, today we will not have any Jamaican Creole. Today's English only. You will not be successful in life if you do not speak the English. And I, I know I sound a bit dramatic, but these are the very things that are being said to the kids in the classrooms, right? So um, I, I, I started thinking a bit about how I can change that. How do I change that dialogue? And um, even though I am so passionate about the language and having my kids speak it, I was worried about how my boys would be perceived later on when they're, they're much older and that's the language they're speaking. Because I know as a society, we have used language to police class borders. Language determine where you fall in society, what kind of job you get, where you know you know you know it because you and I are coming from similar backgrounds, right? Mm. So there was that level of concern for me as to how my kids would be impacted by that. But in doing my research, my boys were quite young. So I wanted to work with much older boys. I wanted to work with teenagers because I I, I know that the debate was centered around them. I didn't choose to work with boys from the school I, I was at at that particular time, even though I'm now in Victoria for my studies, because we, as a rural school, there was, there was a, um, there is a, there, I would say it's a blend in terms of having, dealing with working class, middle class to, to sort of middle to upper class kids. I wanted to go into one of those real urban schools where I know I'll, do, I'll be dealing mostly with, um, low-income families and, and kids from low-income families or working-class families. And um, a brother-in-law of mine, I know he worked in one of the inner-city schools and we made that connection, and um, that's how it began. I, I know that that would provide a rich data on, on, on the issues of language and boys and, and how we, we perceive them as a society and what are their responses to, to that, that kind of, um, the kind of behavior that, that we, we display as people as it relates to language. So I knew I wanted to work with boys and I knew I wanted to be in an inner city community. Well, this, this is really interesting because, I mean, as, as a Nigerian, and um, I understand, you know, how language has become a class, you know, um, a, a class struggle, right? Mm -hmm. um, and before I ask you the question about, you know, your, you know, the process of your research, I wonder if you can kind of, you know, connect your work to the whole movement around indigenous language revitalization here in Canada, because mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of connection there. I just wonder if you can, if you can kind of connect that, because it's, right. it's language, it's really right. big, and, and for people to kind of understand more context. Right, but Taiwo, it's rather ironic, right? Because there's a lot of work here for um, to revitalize languages, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you and I were talking a bit earlier about a friend of mine who's working so hard to, to, to revitalize a dying language that um, in our community, and we're always talking about the fact that while she's working so hard to get that language, to keep that language going, my, my, my country <laughs> is working so hard <laughs> in, to take away, <laughs> to take away a local language. I, I know it sounds rather dramatic, but it, it's, it almost um, seems that way, right? That, that they're, they're working so hard to, 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 um, to sort of, um, I don't want to say to, 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 to dismiss it, but to, to, 
push it to the back where the people would start to think, okay, maybe it's not as valuable. Maybe we should aspire to just speak the, the standard English because then as the people will be more respected, that sort of a thing, right? So, so I don't think there's a, there's a big push to, to, to keep our, our native language, which, is, which, which to me will go nowhere because at the end of the day, over 90% of the population speaks Jamaican Creole. And it's very difficult to eradicate a language that is spoken by over 95%, over 90% of the population. But not only that, I feel like it's, it's, some, it's a part of who we are. It's, it's so embedded in our soul, in our spirits. It, 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 it's, it's, it's something that you cannot, you cannot separate from us. Um, I know Jamaicans are always popular because of the very language. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go some places in the world <laughs> and people will, would, ask, um, would ask me about, my, about speaking Jamaican Creole. I'm like, what do you even know about Jamaican Creole, right? But they do. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, it's so connected to who we are as people. And I wish those who, who, um, who have the power would really do something to encourage our people to speak it, to encourage our people to value, well, not to encourage them to speak it, because we all speak it, but, but to, to value, encourage our youths to value the language and value themselves. And this is what the boys from the inner city communities are teaching us. They're telling us that we value this language. It's a part of who we are. And what we're asking is for you to respect us for speaking it and not tell us that we're not going to be as successful because of this is the language we know, um, and they're they're proving that it has it is it is not a factor in their in their growth. It's not a factor in 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 their ability to succeed in school. That they're they're predominantly Jamaican kids. Yes, it has some impact, but it's not a major factor that is preventing them for from um, accessing certain things in life or being successful. And it's how to get the people who have that power to change that narrative. No, so it's, your work is really challenging some stereotypes and assumptions. And I want, I mean, another question I really want to ask you is what, what are some of the ultimate goal that you have for doing this research? And, and I'm asking this question because when we're talking earlier on, you, you were talking about, you know, you quoted, you know, um, someone that wrote to an, to an, to an editor of, an, of a newspaper, you know, the assumptions, you know, about the language and the people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it would be nice to kind of know what are your ultimate goal for doing this kind of, you know, this kind of project? My, my ultimate goal, I, I think, um, more than anything else. If there's um, anything like ultimate goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's to finish the PhD. <laughs> That's the ultimate goal. <laughs> <laughs> On a serious note, uh, but in doing this research, though, um, my my my, I think the the main aim is really to um, to provide that platform for those students who have been silenced for so long, to provide a platform for them to share their stories. That, that more than anything else, um, I have seen the impact this 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 can have. For example, after the boys, one of the, the, the ways in which I collected data from my research was um, through graphic novels, where over that three and a half month period that I was with the boys, um, 
they 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 worked on creating graphic novels they did video diaries there are several data sources but the graphic novels i found were so powerful because um they get to tell their stories where no one could impinge on the story that is being told and later on we shared um some of the graphic novels with um um ministry personnel and teachers and I got a very stunned reaction from them. Um, say one 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 person remarked was, "I cannot believe that is how they feel. You know, I I am surprised that this is happening. I I I never understood. Those are some of the terms that 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 came up. And to me, I'm saying I'm thinking to myself, we make huge decisions every daily." about these kids and no one thought it was necessary to have conversations with them to see what their experiences are how they can use those experiences to improve um their um the kids um experiences in school to create better policies to to just to sort of have a overall of the systems so kids go in feeling that they are truly a part of it and they're valued and they have something to 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 some kind of input right they didn't think that was necessary and that is very troubling to me so i'm hoping the research is something to 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 continue that conversation and 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 not just in the city kids but the masses um having that conversation about how how do we see our people how do we see our languages what do we value how do we teach our kids to to respect who they are to value who they are how do we teach that so that for generations to come the same level of 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 respect is attached to our language to who we are and we don't always have to aspire to the colonial idea of who we should be but just be people be jamaican people who 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 respect who, who respect not just our language respect our traditions respect our cultures but appreciate it so we don't have our kids feeling like they must always change who they are when they enter schools or going into a place of work because it, it's not just an issue about languages it's 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 this a bigger picture of all that's going on within the society and how now we're changing our kids we're slowly changing them and my 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 concern is that we you go into my country 15 years from now you you you, you don't you don't see much of us anymore the language might be there we don't see much of us right how not losing that part of who we are and it comes from value in our people and we have to we have to teach that to our kids and the boys are teaching us that how to really value who we are and move away from the stereotypes that we have allowed to sort of dictate our behaviors we i'm still going to come back mm-hmm. to the question of stereotype but i kind of feel maybe at this point you just mm-hmm. it would be nice to kind of walk us through what what your re- how you went through your research what okay. was the process okay so for the for the research itself um I I went through ethics as you know getting permission because it's considered international research because I'm 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 moving I went back to Jamaica for the research. So after I had um my brother-in-law made contact with the uh, um the principal of his school and then I got in touch with the principal. She took a bit of convincing. One of the reasons being that she was so worried that my research my my portray her school in a negative light again because it's an inner city school and there there's just a lot going on there it's that's that would take an entire day to tell you the back story but a lot of schools are ranked 
and that school yeah ranking is a massive thing back home exams is a big thing kids performance and regional exams all of that and her school is ranked in the top in the sorry in the bottom four schools in the country so the kids have to deal with that daily that 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 comes with that yeah there's a whole lot of things going on so she was so worried that coming in to do the research especially the fact that i was working with boys um so i i i i we had a very lengthy conversation where i explained to her my intent is not to portray the school in any particular way i am working with these boys for them to tell their stories I want people to understand that these kids, they have a voice also, and they need that opportunity to share what their stories are. So I'm not intending one way or the other to portray the school in any particular light, so she doesn't have to worry about it being negative. And then when I told her um, what are some of the things we're going to do, she was like, oh, that sounds really good. I think go for it, you know, because I really, she, she was like, my kids are really good kids. And I don't think people get a chance to see that because they have been demonized in so many ways. So go ahead. So she was on board. Um, so we got permission, got my ethics um, approved. And then I went home for four months. So in going, um, I, I had conversations with the boys though before I, I went home to sort of familiarize myself with them. We used, um, I got permission from their parents um, to, to contact them via WhatsApp because it's, it's not just a cultural thing. You just, you do not have contact with kids without their parents' consent. Um, so we had a WhatsApp group going and we had conversations I would um, just say how are you things like that get to know know just to get to know them at first it was very very awkward (laughs) but they warmed up to me and it wasn't so bad and then I met them in July last year and um, for for that period of time uh, we met um, a couple days first to to just kind of have lunch I didn't really get into the research just have lunch um, sit in the park talk a bit just kind of get to to know each other face to face meet the parents well the moms because only one of the boys had both parents um in the um at home so the the moms were another story (laughs) that you thought that i thought the boys would be tough the moms were tougher to get over i was i was sharing my um supervisor that when i went to meet the boys um one of the boys obviously called his mom to tell her that I was coming, but the phone, um, he hung up before she could hear what he said. And she only heard something like he's meeting a lady. So she left from work <laughs> and she couldn't get a taxi. So she ran all the way home, which was like maybe about less than two miles, but she ran home from work because <laughs> she couldn't get a taxi. She ran home from work to where they live. And I could just see this woman bursting down the hill, sweating. And I was like, so I was like, who is that? And he was like, it's my mom. I'm like, your mom? And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay. She was like, so she came up to me and she was panting. And she was like, lady, you do not speak to my child without me ever. So I was like, oh, I'm tiny. I'm the person. And she was like, oh, well, just the same. You don't speak to my child without me. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. We laughed about it for a long time that wow. summer. But um, yeah, and get to meet them. I don't know. It was so good to spend that time with the boys. I spent like almost four months with them just to sort of live a part of their lives. I can never say I live their lives because 
um, I am a woman who is who is in academia. Um, I'm middle class. We are not living the same realities, right? And I'm I'm not gonna be pretentious to suggest that I even know what their lived realities are. But I felt like I felt like I needed to spend time with them to to have a better understanding of what their their experiences are, what their daily experiences are. And it was there were some tough tough times I would tell you that I will tell you that there were some tough times um, so I did for part of the at the beginning of the research um, the summer months we work on the graphic novels um, we did our video diaries I um, I did quite a bit of observation like we'll go to the pavilion pavilion is like a mall for us like um, or we go to sporting places um, football games a big thing back home well soccer they call it soccer here we call it football it's a big thing I'll go to games like that with them and just to kind of observe them in their natural setting. I, I didn't want it to be um, something that seems so forced upon them. So we spent we spend quite a bit of time doing that and I'd record my notes and, and look for what I see as uh, recurring ideas and things happening. And then I'm at the beginning of September, I move into school with them. So then I look at it now, so I spend time in the community with families. Now I'm looking at their language in schools. Um, so I, we use that time to finish up finish um, up our graphic novels. I observe them in their classrooms with their teachers. I observe them on the, we don't call it playground. <laughs> we just say outside at lunch. We don't say playground because you don't tell high school kids that they're on the playground. But <laughs> so we, I, um, I observe them doing those things. Um, just, just the kind of interactions they have with each other, the kind of interactions they have with their teachers, that kind of thing. And what I notice more than anything else is that the boys' conversations with their teachers were a bit stilted. Like you could see that they were not comfortable in their English classes. They, they, they would respond to questions, but they, it's usually one word responses. They, they were not very comfortable having ongoing conversations. And then often the teacher may say something and then they respond. But when they turn to their peers, they use the, the local language because that's just what they're comfortable with. Um, and I find that in some classes, the, the distance between the, the child and the teacher really shapes how the child speak to the teacher and the language he or she uses. For example, I noticed in their electrical technology classes that they had such a great rapport with their teacher. And one of the reasons is that he used the local language with them. In his teaching, everything, he just uses the local language. I, I, I noticed in, in those classes there was little or no English present. And he had a very good rapport, and I, I found that they were very comfortable. Mind you, I don't expect to go into an English class and expect the teacher to be using the Creole to be teaching. But, but even in interaction with interactions with the kids, I think they would have felt more comfortable if they saw some of that or heard some of that in the in the classroom itself. I found that there was a distance there. Um, and I, I it, it got me thinking that that is one of the reasons why they may not necessarily have positive attitudes towards English itself or even English learning, right? Yes. Yeah. Because they, 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 it's not their natural language and they feel it's something they have to and they might go into the classroom and someone might say to them, that's what we want you to speak and only that, right? While in one of the classrooms I observed, um, the, 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 because it was four boys, so they had two different English teachers. Um, one of the teachers, she was much more open 
to the, the local language. She will talk to them in it. Um, they would laugh about things. And that particular boy seemed a lot more comfortable in that particular classroom, right? And I, um, afterwards, we spoke about it. And he said, Mr. Um, Schoolman, that's just something we, we, we would say. But in a, in a sense, he's saying, she's okay. I, I like talking to her because she's not, she's not uptight about the language. In, in his, in, that's how he sees it. She's not uptight. So if he's a lot more relaxed in the class, he's much more open to learning in the class. So I think one of the things it's suggesting to us is that if kids see us valuing what they value, the language that they value, and showing some kind of respect to it, um, for it in the classroom itself, it makes them more open to us, more, more willing to have interactions, more willing to, to sort of engage with you. They don't want you to tell them they shouldn't have it in the classroom. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. No, I mean, what you're saying is, I mean, I kind of, kind of connect. I, mm -hmm. uh, back home in Nigeria, um, mm -hmm. when I was in school, we call our language Yoruba. I'm, I'm, I'm from the Yoruba-speaking part of Nigeria. I'm Yoruba um, vernacular. So mm -hmm. if I speak vernacular, or if I speak in vernacular rather, it's either I get flogged. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's, there are punishments attached to it. Mm -hmm. You can get flogged or they, you have to, the times that you might have to pay depending on the school and all of that. But that kind of created this mindset that English is the standard. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get English, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not going to succeed. Mm -hmm. You're not going to mm -hmm. be who you're meant to be. Mm -hmm. So we we're constantly striving to mm -hmm. learn English. Now, it's not... The idea of learning how to speak English is not like it's bad or anything. Mm -hmm. But for, for a lot of students and a lot of my colleagues, it was the fact that they made they made us, they exalted English to mm -hmm. the point that unless we knew how to speak it, we were less mm -hmm. of a person. Yep. And I and I and I think like we were saying earlier mm -hmm. on, and I, I mean I'm do, I don't want to take um, no no your, worries your, your words from you, but like we we're saying earlier on is that it's all that whole idea of the colonial mindset. It is right, and and I, I think that's a segue to I kind of feel that it would be nice to read what you read to me earlier on. Okay, um, I will, and, and kind of connect that to yes. you know these mindsets yep. both in Jamaica and really globally in right. terms of what is happening here in Canada. Right. Right. I, 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 I think it's imperative that I do share this little part of uh, um, a letter to the editor. Because for my, um, when I was doing my comps, um, I had to, to do a lot of background, um, background research on language in Jamaica and the language situation that existed two, three hundred years ago and what exists now. So I dug up a lot of old articles and I found one in um, oh, 1844. And in this one, in this particular article, the the, the writer speaks about um, Creole being the refuge of ignorance, and the language of the the poor and illiterate. And he says, the the less you know, the greater aptitude you have for talking Negro, which is to su suggest that the the Negro man is always not going to be as intellectual as as the colonials because of the language he speaks. Now, what is particularly disturbing to me is that I dug up an article, well, not dug up because it was last year. <laughs> I found an article last year, the, a letter to the editor. And this Jamaican, because um, I'm going to say Jamaican first because he's a Jamaican. This Jamaican wrote a letter to the article and he says, 
letter to the edit to the editor yes the jamaica gleaner that's like that's that's our biggest newspaper the jamaica gleaner and he, he wrote in this um letter to the editor um patwa which is what we call Jamaican Creole, Patwa may well serve the purpose of those who benefit from our dumbed-down society of illiterate morons, but it does not help our Jamaican people advance to the next level. It keeps our people in hopeless poverty, stupid beyond imagination, dumb as farm animals. We can be 3.7 million strong, or we can be 3.7 million reasons to wear a condom. <laughs> and i i mean i'm laughing i'm laughing through the 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 tears and the anger and the all the things that come that that come with this right i'm i'm just pushing through it because when i saw that it took it 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 took me i don't know maybe 30 minutes cuz i had to read it over and over cuz i could not believe that someone would write that about our language that we are a dumbed down society who who and 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 3.7 million reasons to wear a condom because we have people who are saying let us encourage our kids to speak our local language let's let us have it as a part of our society a part of our school system because the, the whole debate why he wrote this um particular art, um, article this ongoing debate that we need to be recognized as a bilingual society we need to have jamaican creole as a part of the school system we need to be instructing our kids in jamaican creole because that's what they come most of them come into the system with and there's substantial research to support this to suggest that kids need their local language as a bridge to acquiring a second language and um, for some reason there there are people who who, who who refuse to accept this who believe that it should not Jamaican creole should not be a part of our education system it should not be in our schools or kids should not be encouraged to use it and as just Gentleman, as so, I I won't even find a word to describe what he has said. Put it, we are just dumb farm animals for speaking our native language. You see, so it goes back to what I keep saying that if if we have our kids hearing these things, we are telling them that we do not value it. We're telling them we don't value them because they are speakers, right? So if you say that, you're saying to Jamaican Creole speakers that you are dumb. You're, you're telling us yeah, we're, right. we're dumb, right? That's what you're telling our kids. And this is what they're seeing. And this is what they're hearing. How do you expect them to feel about themselves? If you are a dominant Creole speaker and you have someone telling us, telling you, sorry, that you are less likely to succeed, you are going to be as dumb as it gets. You will not, you will not be successful because of the language you speak. Then these kids are going to develop the same mindset. They're going to be doubts. They're going to hear that every day. The, the inferiority, yeah, the complexes that comes that that comes with that, right? They will have to deal with these things, and that is what I am hoping to change. I am hoping having these boys speak so positively about their language and and how it is a part of who they are and how it has shaped their identities and how they are strong. Strong young men who are respectful, strong young men who are successful in schools, strong young men who have defied the odds and, 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 and have um, pretty much 
um, shown that the stereotypes are not true, right? How we want our kids to be seeing things that way and believe in those things, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, your your research is really yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting and and very meaningful and mm-hmm. really important right now, not just for Jamaica really, mm-hmm. but for the world. Like mm-hmm. we see in Canada, in mm-hmm. different part of you know the global south and, mm-hmm. and what is happening all over the world where people are saying no we need to take ownership mm-hmm. of our language mm-hmm. one question i was going to ask you is what the impact of storytelling because mm-hmm. i feel that you kind of zone in to mm-hmm. storytelling with mm-hmm. your um, um, graphic novel and all that how do you see that really helping in changing a narrative oh i think it's a perfect tool um we are storytellers by nature and we just are <laughs> every opportunity i get to present my, my research as a story i love it um there there is um quite famous um, Jamaican um, folklorist and poet, Louise Bennett. And she has always found this beautiful way of capturing the tensions between languages within the country and um, all the sociopolitical issues and and colonial um, things that are going on. And I, I thought to myself, if I am ever going to do research, I have to tell it as a story. It's it's a, it's it's who we are. It's 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 like it's within. It's it's just a part of us. Um, I I I thought the graphic novels would be so ideal for the boys because one as i mentioned before i have no control over the story they tell that's their story they tell it as they, as as they as they experience it so i thought that would be a powerful avenue for them to share their stories for others to sort of go through the experience with them like the journey that they're taking them on go go on that journey with them understand what it is that they're going through and um for me if 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 I am going to change the narrative on on, uh, on on language and identity and 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 um, just how people view perceive the, the local language, I need to tell it in a way that we appreciate as Jamaicans, and we we appreciate nothing more than a better story. So tell a story and they will listen. <laughs> so that that is my aim to do that. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, mm-hmm. In case you're just joining us, uh, we've been um, having this great conversation with um, Tanya Manin-Lewis. She's a PhD candidate at the, the University of Victoria in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction. And her research and her community engagement is really focusing on language and literacy. Um, to kind of wrap up this um, this um, uh, uh, interview, I-, I wonder if there are thoughts, you know, in terms of your connection of, of your work to 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 the issue around language in mm-hmm. Vic- in in Canada mm-hmm. uh, and again in Victoria. I mean, right. we know it's not just about Victoria; it's the right. entire Canada in it on its own, and even a lot of indigenous, you know, cultures mm-hmm. across the world right now. Mm-hmm. And and that connection to your work and j- just your final thoughts in terms of your connection to your work right. and and to what is happening right. in language revitalization. Right. Um, globally, we know um, there are a lot of conversations around language and identity now, and we know what's going on in. US and a lot of other places. One thing I I will say is that language is a part of who people are. 
it's very difficult to separate your your identity from the language you speak. And I know I know a lot of people would say, well, if you're going to come to a country, you should speak our language. And I have no issue with you speaking English. But I'm also saying if you are going to claim that you are a very diverse society and you're very inclusive, then make a space for other identities. Make a space for other languages. Allow people to be who they are and speak the language they speak. Um, for global reasons, we want to ac have access to English, and I do understand that. I'm not naive to that. I know, and the boys themselves have mentioned that several times in the research, that they're fully aware of the, 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 the need to speak um, the standard variety, and they're more open to the idea of doing so. What they do not want is for someone to tell them that they're less than because they are not able to speak that, right? And in a Canadian context, we see that happening so, so often, wherein someone hears an accent and they automatically assume that you, 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 you are lacking in something. You're, you're lacking in intellect. You're lacking in your ability to have an, a conversation. You're lacking in many things. And the, the, this, this research applies to anywhere. And, and to a global perspective of language and people that do not make assumptions about who a person is because of how he or she speaks. You take a person and his or her own merit, what it is that he or she has to offer. For example, being in the Victoria community, if I, if I can share my experience has been, I may walk, I, I sometimes work in the school district and I may walk into a school and I'll say good morning or something. And I'm always asked, um, oh, are you here to pick up your child? Or are you here to learn English? Or are you something? I've never, I've never seen, I'm never seen as the teacher who should be teaching, right? And, and this is not even about race. This is about, for me, it's, it's about the fact that you hear an accent and, and the idea that, oh, that makes you an outsider, or that makes you less capable of something, or that make, there are all these things that comes with it, right? And I think you might have an idea of what I'm speaking about. So the idea in applying this on a global perspective is that we, we need to respect differences in people. We need to respect different languages. We need to have people value the things that are important to them. We need to say, while it's important for you to acquire the English, it is also just as important for you to maintain your native or your local languages just the same because they are equally important. There's no language that is more superior than the other. And those are my final thoughts. Interesting. Uh, thank you so much, Tanya. It's 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 been uh, a privilege to really hear your research firsthand before reading it. Um, I was with a mechanic yesterday, um, and then and he asked me, uh, "Where are you from?" And I told him, and he said, "So you must speak more than one language." And I'm like, "Yes, I do." And he's like. I wish I can do that, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, I mean, he's traveled um, to over 30 countries and he said that for him, it was just that gave him opportunity to really see that there's so much that the society around here needs to learn mm -hmm. in terms of how we see people, in terms of people, what people talk and, and things like that and, and how that shapes identity and, mm -hmm. and, and our perception of, you know, of the other. Mm -hmm. I really want to say thank you very much for, for being part of Beyond the Jargon and um, mm -hmm. yeah, I really wish you um, all the best with the writing of the thesis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need um, it. <laughs> that's, um, 
<laughs> that's um the other part of it now that the research is done now it's time to write it and mm-hmm. and i know you're doing a great job but so i'm mm-hmm. um, really wishing you all the best and and i hope that at the end of the day that all of this research will really inform policies and mm-hmm. not just in jamaica but even on, across the nations of the world really thinking in terms of literacy language and and people's identity so thank you very much and um, it's good to have it was my pleasure thank you Thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 101.9 FM. For interviewees, contact information, or to listen to this episode again, visit cfuvpodcast.com. You can also subscribe, read, or review Beyond the Jargon and other CFUV podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcasts.